welcome to the Stop Over Drinking and Start Living podcast, where high achieving, goal oriented rebel women come to learn how to live a vibrant and fulfilling life without requiring alcohol to get through it. No labels, no judgments, no saying you'll never drink again, just real proven methods to help you stop rebelling against yourself with alcohol so you can drink less and do more. I'm your host, Angela Masenik. Let's dig in. Welcome to episode 243, a special guest interview with recovery coach Colleen Cashman. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. I have a very special treat for you this week. This week, I have Colleen Cashman, who is a certified recovery coach on, and we talk about our own histories and stories of drinking and how we, you know, stopped drinking and overcame that and and the work um, required to do that. And it was just a great conversation. Um, Colleen took a more traditional recovery approach and 12 steps and whatnot when she um, was working on her relationship with alcohol and now is sort of dropping labels and helping women get to, you know, decide for themselves what is right for them, which I love. So enjoy this conversation. You can follow Colleen on her podcast. It's called Recover with Colleen. Her Instagram as is at Recover with Colleen as well. And thank you so much, Colleen, for coming on the show. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Angela. It's so good to be here today. It's so awesome to have you. So listeners, I'm here with Colleen Cashman. She's the host of Recover with Colleen podcast, and she's a master recovery coach. She also helps people stop drinking, stop over drinking, recover from all of that. And we are doing a co-hosted podcast today. So I'm not leading. She's not leading. We're kind of going to just have a conversation about our own journeys to be here and how we ended up here and how we help people stop over drinking or quit drinking alcohol and what that looks like. And we might get into some controversial topics and questions. So hang on with us. And I hope you enjoy this episode. And welcome, Colleen. Thank you. I'm excited to have this conversation, Angela, because it's just so good to kind of just drop all of the crap and having two women who are going through their own journey and then also working in an industry where there's a lot of normal and standards and just to be able to get real about our own experiences personally with our people and what our thoughts are about everything. I just, I love a good candid conversation. Me too. And for Colleen's audience, just to give a little bit of background about me, I'm the host of the Stop Over Drinking and Start Living podcast. I'm a certified Stop Over Drinking coach, and I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more about that as we go, but just so everybody has a little background about us. Um, So I thought we could kick us off, Colleen, with just a little bit about how you got here. Like, tell us, you know, the quick and dirty on your story. Okay. Well, I was a high-functioning drinker for many years. I would say probably close to 30. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was always, I always thought alcohol was a very pleasant part of my life. I recognized that there were times when I overdid it, but I had no trouble 
um, breastfe- getting pregnant or breastfeeding my mm-hmm. children. Um, I didn't drive around with my kids drunk. I truly thought alcohol was adding to my life. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the last few years where, um, you know, I experienced the stress of a divorce and then re- getting remarried with a blended family and really just kind of, what do you, you know, like my, I, 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 I was experiencing a lot of stress. And so I was drinking more and more. And I noticed that I was drinking more than other people. Mm. And I do what we do in those situations. And you hide that, like, mm. you know, you, you just, because it, it, the minute you, uh, acknowledge that you're struggling to control your drinking, then in our society, that means you do not pass go, you do not collect $200, you go directly to AA and promise to never drink again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in our culture, I think because the narrative has been captured by the disease model, then everybody who's a normal drinker and experiences the very normal effects of drinking an addictive substance that it gets mm-hmm. harder to control. And when you drink with stress, um, it's, it, it changes your brain and mm-hmm. repetitive behavior. You learn how to drink and you, you just get stuck. So I did the shame thing for a few years and beat myself up and I tried all the rules and, tried to outsmart myself with water and exercise and supplements and Mm -hmm. yoga retreats. But the bottom line is um, I woke up one day, six weeks into into COVID Mm. and said, I'll say anything. I'm an alcoholic. Just make this stop. Mm. And so I began my journey in recovery, going to online AA meetings Mm -hmm. and um, was lucky that it was during COVID because it did give me a timeout in my life. Um, the exact yeah. thing that led me to overdrink in the first six weeks of COVID actually became my saving grace. I didn't have to drive or be normal or be a part of things. So mm-hmm. I spent a year in my sobriety doing what I thought I was supposed to do, which was mm-hmm. call myself an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And then it was about a year into sobriety where I, I realized that I wasn't happy. I wasn't thriving. I wasn't bouncing back. Mm -hmm. And yet I was doing sobriety perfect. I went Mm -hmm. to all the meetings and I did all the steps and I was marching in lockstep with all the rules. Mm -hmm. And so I I began a more spiritual journey that, first of all, led me to realize my relationship with myself was the problem. My perfectionism Mm -hmm. was the problem. I was beating myself up. And so, Then, you know, in addition to all of that internal work, I was also still me, you know, I started this coaching business and I was working with other women, you know, so I think that the temptation is to paint a picture of all good or all bad, you know, my Mm -hmm. life continued to go on and I did love sobriety. I just Mm -hmm. realized that the mindset that I was different than other people and that something was wrong with my brain was really holding me back. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. I love that you shared that. I mean, it's like, you know, when you were at that point where you're just like kind of desperate to like fix it, you're just like found the thing that you probably knew the most about. Right. And that's AA and it is accessible. Like anybody can go find that. 
right? Like it's not hard to find a meeting if you live in the United States. And I mean, I don't know what it's like in other areas, but um, it's great that you had that resource at the time. And then listening to yourself, I think what I'm hearing you say through that work, you're like, something's still, I, I, I feel like I should be feeling more or like this should be more lively or like well, you're missing something. Was it, was what that I what I realized was that I was still playing the alcohol game. I had mm. just switched teams instead mm. of being team drinker. I was team sober, but a lot of my thought processes were about my relationship with alcohol, even though I wasn't drinking anymore. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, there was a, a conversation I had with my brother at one point and my family, I wouldn't say we're big drinkers anymore. I would have said that at one time, but alcohol's a part of our family culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the only one drinking, you know, multiple bottles of wine. Um, but when you are a drinker, you kind of don't, you don't notice all the details. Well, mm-hmm. I was a couple of years into sobriety and my brother, I noticed he wasn't drinking either. And he goes, oh yeah. I said, do you want me to get you anything while I'm up? And he goes, I'm not drinking right now. And I said, what? what? Oh, did you quit too? And he goes, I quit all the time. I just don't make a big damn deal about it because I don't want to issue a press release when I start again. He's like, the the rest of the world, Colleen, does not divide each other into drinkers and non-drinkers. Like we're not in high school anymore. Grow up. And I was like, oh. And I found that conversation really cool. In mm-hmm. that all of a sudden I got a glimpse of another reality where mm-hmm. I don't have to identify by my past drinking habits. I don't have to make decisions on, you know, what that difficult time in my life was and what it means about my future. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I shifted my perspective that alcohol, that alcohol has nothing to do with my life anymore. Sometimes mm-hmm. occasionally I have a drink and it has, it, I, I don't identify as somebody team drinker or team sober. I'm, yeah. I'm just a woman living my life. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. So for me, it was, you know, it's probably somewhere I had two decades of hard drinking, partying in college. I had, you know, it, it evolved over time to like party atmosphere, no money, <laughs> broke college student to, you know, professional, had money, more sophisticated drinking that, you know, makes it confusing because it's like, oh, if you have money or you, you know, I was in marketing and sales for a long time. So I had to entertain clients and travel and all of that. And so it just kind of get dressed up into looking like you're sophisticated and fancy and cool. Right. Um, And so it just kind of kept creeping and creeping and creeping. And the more complicated my life got, the more I would drink. I mean, then I had three kids back to back and going back to work and, you know, the balance of all of that and not knowing how to do that. um, Alcohol was my go to, you know, for to relieve my anxiety and my overwhelm. And it just got to a point where I was just, you know, I I recognized it was like I, I finally became aware that I needed it. Like it was like I needed it to calm down those nerves at the end of the day and to quiet my mind and to give my mind a break from thinking through and replaying all the shit from the day in my mind. Um, and then once I found, realized that, you know, I actually quit my job. I tried to de-stress my life and try to change my life, you know, before I address the alcohol stuff. And then in that process of like me figuring out my life, I found life coaching and 
then joined a program. And then I learned that all of this was an internal problem. And I was like, well, it's not my boss, my husband, my kids, you know, it's my own internal processing and the way I'm thinking about things and how I feel and how I react to those feelings. And, you know, obviously it's way more complicated than that when we get into stuff like trauma and stuff. But at the time, it was very clear that this was my own issues, right? It wasn't anybody else's responsibility for how I felt and what I did in my life. It was on me and I could change the way I was thinking like that kind of blew my mind and it changed everything for me. So I took a pretty long break from alcohol, cleaned all that internal shit up, thought differently about my life. Like that was that sort of like inside out type situation and my whole life changed. And it was so amazing to me and fast and like, wow, and magical. I'm like, okay, I'm going to help other people do that. And then, you know, eventually I became certified and stuff and I kept exploring my relationship with alcohol and then ultimately decided like, it doesn't really have a place in my life anymore. I don't really like it or need it anymore. So I don't drink now, but I also don't put a label on it. I don't say I'm never going to drink again. I don't really like labels. I don't like having hard rules because I'm a rebel and I like to rebel against being told what to do. (laughs) And so being an entrepreneur, like it's hard for me to follow instructions and work for other people. So um, those things, those kind of things don't work for me, but I like the parameters I have around alcohol. Now it works for me. And I love that I get to help women figure out what works for them ultimately. So I love this conversation that we're going to have today because I think that, really it comes down to what you want and you got to give yourself an opportunity to understand yourself, right? Know yourself, get to know what that internal thing is with you and figure out what's good and what's not for you. And nobody gets to say what's right or not for you, right? Well, I also think that the expectation that there is a right answer Mm -hmm. and that you have to figure out what is Mm -hmm. good and that if something is a bad experience, that that yeah. was bad. When I feel like what I do and, and the way I coach women is just to neutralize everything and to mm-hmm. understand, like, if you step outside of your life, you change your mind all the time. Mm-hmm. So even this idea of, you know, going into AA and saying, I'm never going to drink again, like, no matter how hard you promise anything, you know, I used to think I'd keep a perm in my hair forever. I mean, for sure, I want to have curly hair and everybody's going to know I have curly hair. Totally. And I'm just going to keep getting perms. You know, we change our mind all the time and everything is 50-50. Mm-hmm. I teach like a bell curve analogy where any experience you have, if you plot out, let's say 24 hours in the day. Mm-hmm. 50% of those hours, minutes and seconds are going to be above the bell curve on, mm-hmm. on the set, on the top half, the happy mm-hmm. half. Mm-hmm. And then the other 50% are below. And so, you know, as I learned how to reintroduce alcohol, there was some bumps, you know, was I overthinking it? Did I have too much? How often? Like I traded the relaxation of never having to think about it again. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to experiment knowing I could go back. Mm-hmm. But so, so like, I can't say that my experience of drinking now, well, now I'm happier because I'm okay having one or two glasses of wine a week. Right. That's the answer. Mm-hmm. That's no more the answer than zero or a hundred. 
Like Mm -hmm. what I think we don't realize is staying present and evaluating the consequences. Is this better or worse? And Mm -hmm. not making it mean anything except inform your next decision. Absolutely. I love that. Like, you know, I teach my clients, you know, if they have an overdrink or they drink more than they want to, to, to take the shame, put it aside for a second. We understand it doesn't feel good to be out of alignment or like to do things that you don't really want to do. Like that makes sense. Right. But to be curious about it and just look at the whole picture and evaluate, right. Learn something about it. Would I choose to do that again? That's really all that matters is like that you, that you're paying attention um, and you don't get swept away in the all or nothing thinking. Right. Yeah. And, and making big decisions from that place that you're in. It's like, I'm declaring I'm not going to drink for 30 days because I'm so disgusted with myself or yeah. I'm going to do this extreme thing because of how I feel right now. But more like, okay, like what did you do well? What could you do differently next time? And then there's just another decision ahead of you. Yeah. And yeah. I think that first question, what did I do well? What did I do right? You know, mm-hmm. science shows that motivation to keep going is fueled by evidence of progress. Mm-hmm. And especially for women, we are fueled by shame. We think the worse we feel, the better mm-hmm. we're going to do. Hence the one drink on a Friday night turns into 20 because screw it. I'll just start over on Monday. Yeah. And we don't learn how to do this one step at a time where we've got mm-hmm. grandiose ideas that we have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And we set conditions on when we're going to be okay. Like I'm zero or I'm only going to have two. We put a condition on that instead of just learning how to handle the experience and adjust in real time. Yeah. And so we we set conditions on our own happiness. And when we set conditions, you know, they say happiness equals reality minus expectations. Mm-hmm. And if your expectations are unrealistic or they just didn't happen for whatever reason, you're agreeing in advance to to not be okay. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it's like that. you know, it's, it's the same thing I talk about success is like, don't, just say you're successful if you follow your plan or you're successful in quitting or taking a 30 day break. Like that actually doesn't mean success. We get to define what success is. So even if you say you're going to take a 30 day break and you fail three quarters of the month, the success in that is what you interpret it. What did you learn about yourself? How did you identify more patterns? You didn't give up right? You got nuggets. There's other things besides drinking less alcohol that you gained from that experience. Let's find those, right? Right. And then at the end of the day, you're successful because you tried, right? Like, but that is, that is something that you need to learn how to think differently about because we're programmed by our society and our own minds, just the way that they are to think negatively about everything. Right. And the way I teach sobriety now is that Learning how to enjoy yourself sober is the real goal because we're not trying to be, who wants to be sober when they grow up? We all want to be happy. Mm -hmm. And the only way to really have a choice with, to stay sober or to have one or two or 20 is to realize you do have a choice and that if you align your goals with being happy, well, a lot of things take care of themselves Mm -hmm. because 20 drinks under no circumstances makes you happy. You know, you're sick and hungover. 
So if you switch the goal from setting conditions on your happiness being tied to a certain level of sobriety or a length of time, and you just set it to being happy, then you make three quarters of your 30 days. You have one drink. Did that make you happy? Do you want to go back and continue? I think learning how to respond differently to our own setbacks and always counting the wins. So the way I teach it is the goal is to learn how to how to enjoy sobriety. So if you enjoy 15 minutes of sobriety on a Friday night prior to going and making a mess, then that's a win. That's 15 minutes more than last week. How mm-hmm. have you moved the needle? You know, or maybe you stopped a little sooner. How have you moved the needle? Constantly looking for partial credit Mm-hmm. And giving yourself, well, what do I say? Give yourself a big win for partial credit and yeah. then count those because that is how the brain rewires the dopamine, the narrative that if you focus on the fact that that 15 minutes actually was really pleasurable, mm-hmm. then you want to do it again, mm-hmm. unless you sweep all that under the rug and just be like, well, it's an all or nothing thing. And I screwed yep. it up. Then you yeah. miss the little learning opportunities. Yeah, I think about, you know, how we feel drives what we do, right? So if you feel like shit, that usually doesn't drive the actions that you want to take, right? So if you're feeling disappointed in yourself, ashamed of yourself, think about what you normally do when you feel that way, right? Probably hide, maybe, hide. You, you know, hide, watch TV, drink, you know, do it, avoid, not look at things. If you feel curious or like, oh, I did have a win here, like that's going to put that, that makes you feel more forward momentum. That's going to make you, okay, maybe I can just repeat that again. Maybe I could just try that one more time. Maybe there's something a little bit more I could do next time. It doesn't have that, that retraction that the other feelings do. So I love that. It's so important that we we are highlighting and, and making ourselves look at what progress is being made. Yeah. And I often make it a game for myself, you know, and quite honestly, I don't have a lot of shame cycles anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. I experience shame, but I know how to respond differently. It's stop, Mm -hmm. drop and count the wins. Like make it a game. You know, what went right? You know, Mm -hmm. oh, I screamed at my husband, but I only said fuck you once and I shut the door. I didn't slam it. Huge or win. Maybe you said it inside your mind and didn't say that it out this time. <laughs> yes. You know, this is so much more than just being about alcohol. And to think that we're going to wake up one day and be the person we want to be, it doesn't work like that. You have to practice mm-hmm. and, and noticing what went right, right in the middle of a screw up mm-hmm. is how you motivate yourself to keep going. And then also change the relationship with yourself so that it's actually safe to be inside your body. You know, shame itself elicits a stress response Mm -hmm. and you feel the need to escape. And so learning, you know, it's not that shame's going to go away, but learning how to respond differently, that the shame is the problem, not the story you're associating it with the shame, to soothe that nervous system in real time. Mm -hmm. And like you, you made a comment about, you know, well, I, I connected it with something I say, don't think on shame. Don't mm-hmm. think under the influence of your own negative emotions. Yeah. Like stop, drop and regulate 
And then because the story in your head follows the state of your nervous system. So if you correct for that first, you're going to get a lot farther with finding those wins. Right. I, I learned this amazing phrase that I repeat all the time by one of my colleagues, and it's when um, emotions are high, intelligence is low. So yeah. yep. you, you literally like it's it's science. It's like brain chemistry. When you're flooded with those heavy emotions like shame, anger, frustration, you know, rage, <laughs> I'm just trying yeah. to think of like all my big, hot and heavy ones, you literally can't access rational thinking because no. your your brain is flooding you with these high level intense emotions. Right. And so you can't access the part of your brain that might be able to solve a problem with a good outcome. So we got to work on letting ourselves be there with those feelings, processing that, getting into our bodies, doing the, that sort of, I'm, I love this term now. It's like de-escalation of, of the trigger or whatever it is for you. And then Maybe tomorrow or later you go back and you, okay, let me, let me process, let me look at that, like with my mind and intellectually kind of sift through that. But when you're in that space, it's, you're not going to make a good decision. So you don't have access to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's like, if you think of it kind of two dimensionally on a spectrum, you've got objective and rational Mm -hmm. and batshit insane on the other side. (laughs) And the more, the the closer you are to that, you know, crazy, angry, upset, then the needle moves away from objective. You can't be both at any given time. And one thing that, that made such a difference to me is the learning of the fact that that those emotions are actually biochemical. Mm-hmm. They flood your body. And according to Jill Bolt Taylor, I forget the name of her book, but she's a neurosurgeon who had a stroke and lost and had to re wow. regain so many things. And it, her research now shows that you can clear that emotional biochemical response within 90 mm-hmm. seconds. Yeah. And the more I I identify that emotions are in play, stop and deal with my emotions, mm-hmm. then the easier it is for me to show up in my life how I want. And mm-hmm. that's a skill. But I would say in early days of learning that, it might take me a week to calm down. Yeah. Now, if I'm upset, let's say with my partner, I can Mm -hmm. be like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I take a potty break. Mm -hmm. I go regulate 90 seconds. You know, I know I was triggered, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I can say, do I want to go back into the conversation or not? But 90 seconds is all it takes. And so this really is what I would say a hope, hopeful, a beacon of hope to realize that it's just a skill. You can teach a kindergartner. It's not you that's overreactive. It's just a skill that you need to improve. Yeah, I love that. And sometimes and my, go ahead. Go, you go ahead. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, and that's where you, you realize this isn't about alcohol. Yeah. Like focusing, you know, on sobriety, you know, there's so much more to life and learning how to be comfortable in your body. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in early days, it's important to talk about alcohol and what it does and learning. But really, there's so much on the other side of this. Yeah, you got to look at the precursor to when you want to drink, right? So like, what triggers did you have? What happened that day? Have you taken good care of yourself? Like all these things come into play. It's your life, right? And your own internal systems that are at play here. The alcohol is just 
the byproduct. The drinking is what we do. It's not really the reason. I mean, it does amplify things. Sometimes we over drink, you know, right. It affects how we think and our feelings because there's a load put on our system and right. it can induce more anxiety, more overwhelm, more of those bigger type feelings um, and, and amplify negative thinking, which makes it all more complicated. Right. Yeah. yeah. But the precursor to that is like, okay, what was happening in my life and my emotional state? How am I taking care of myself that led me to want to escape from that? Right. It's yeah. not, I say, I'm like, my book is going to be called, it's not about the alcohol because it, it is like 5% and the rest of it is what's going on in your life and how we're probably not taking good care of ourselves and we're not processing and deregulating and learning how to be a human. Really, it should just all be like, let's just learn how to be human beings in a kind of a fucked up world. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a, I, I now see that I was using alcohol as a shitty consolation prize mm-hmm. to the fact that, you know, I had four kids and then three kids in a blended family. All mm-hmm. of them were teenagers at one time. Oh I had the stress of, you know, ex partners and you know, just yeah. so much stuff. And instead of taking better care of myself, I, my perfectionistic mindset was like, you know, I can run marathons and I can mm-hmm. take care of seven kids and I can cook yeah. everything from scratch and be a vegan and all of these things. And it's like, honey, honey, honey. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't taking care of myself. And I remember to the point what alcohol had had robbed me of was my voice and my opinion because I used alcohol to just, well, oh, my favorite line was, I'm just going to drink through it. Like mm-hmm. I'm just drinking through this. Mm-hmm. And so I wake up five years later and in early sobriety, my, I, I was yelling at my husband and saying, you don't care about me. You don't even care about my needs. And he responded really lovingly. Um, not in the moment, but he came mm-hmm. back with his little reader glasses on and he's like, can you please tell me what needs you have that I'm not meeting because I'd like to work on that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't answer the question. Wow. I could not articulate one thing that I needed or wanted from him. Wow. And that is the cost of daily drinking is you are not processing your emotions. And what does process mean? It just means you're able to articulate and everything gets tangled. I, I, I use the analogy with early drink, early sobriety, that your brain is like a a drawer of all those tangled cords. Yeah. All your thought feelings are all mushed together and, Mm -hmm. you know, he's late for five minutes and now it means he doesn't care about me or, Oh yeah. Like yeah. all of that stuff. And, and that's what, like you spoke to, that's the work of, of, of recovery. You unravel you that shit. You got to unravel it. Yeah. And you got, you know, there's threads in there that go back a long way that, and it's a process. Like I remember three years into me not drinking, I had shit come up from my childhood and stuff that was like, Oh, wow. Wow. Oh my God. This makes so much sense. Like I didn't know because I had been numbing myself for so long, ignoring that stuff. Right. And like all of that played into my relationship with alcohol and everything. I mean, it's all so connected. And I think it's so important to give yourself an opportunity to look at that. And some people are scared of doing that because they don't want to, they don't want the stuff to come up because they don't think they can handle it or they just want to leave the past in the past. But 
if you leave that stuff unresolved, it, it does stay a messy cord and it will pop up in some other way. Um, and I think finding it's like self-discovery, learning how you are. It's all about understanding why you do what you do and why you feel the way you do. And I think it's fascinating. I love learning another thread. I found one just this morning that was so <sighs> fascinating. I was like the time that I tend to myself and I give myself that time to like, look at what's going on. I, I've been having this very recent reoccurring feeling of like, I just want to quit and run away. Mm. And you know, and I'm like, what is that? Like, why? Like, this is very familiar. And so I gave myself an opportunity to go in and like, I'm like, where in my past did that feel like? And it took me back to kindergarten where I was overwhelmed with all these little projects that they gave me as a first time schooler, you know, first time person, I didn't go to preschool or anything. And I remember hiding in the bathroom and like pretending I was sick because I didn't want to do all the work and going home. And it feels just like it's a very familiar feeling. And so I was like, oh, like you shouldn't have had all that work as a kindergartner, you know, like we shouldn't be stacking work like that on our little kids. Right. Right. And so I'm like, you don't have to do it all. I'm like, oh, you're right. I don't have to do it. all. I could just do one thing, (laughs) you know? And so like learning that about myself and giving myself that opportunity to see that it's, it's, it's not about the alcohol, but if I never gave myself that space to ask those questions, I would have been carrying this energy of like, I just want to run away and hide. And that leads to drinking. That leads to literally not showing up in the life that I have chosen to live. Right. And I'm so glad that I got to pull that one out of there today. Well, what's interesting is people, we, me too, we we're afraid to feel the feelings yeah, because we think the feelings are true. And Mm -hmm. so learning like the domino belief here, what Mm -hmm. do you need to believe is that somewhere you learned a lesson that was false. So as a kindergartner, you learned you have to do all the work Mm -hmm. or run away or whatever. And so all you did was identify that, you know, I have a similar feeling that crops up that I will avoid forever until I realize, oh, this is the feeling where I'm telling myself, you're a joke. And everybody knows it. And that feeling will creep up for me. And the moment, because I have the tools and I've done the work, the moment I realize, oh, that there's that feeling, Mm -hmm. it's not true. And then like you did, I can put perspective. Where did I learn that? I learned it in seventh grade when I had a pair of pearls on and I could not hit the ball in softball in gym class. And Jimmy Kennedy was making fun of me and telling me I'm a complete joke. That's where I learned it. And so just being able to, and I, I often cannot remember where my false stories came from. I just remember that one. He called me a joke. And so now I can make that connection. But just realizing that your feelings aren't facts. They're coming from shitty beliefs that you internalized. And because that belief was shameful, you don't talk about it and you believe it. So your feelings are actually like, there's a rock in your shoe. Stop. Yeah, the shoe, and then look at the rock and say, "Baby, that's not true," or "That's not your fault," or "You couldn't have known," or "You did the best you could." Like whatever. It's so important not to be afraid of your feelings because they're not true. Yeah, I think they're just like I call them little red flags. They're like, "Hey, you need to pay attention to me. Don't ignore me anymore." Right? Like 
that got ignored. How long? I was five years old, 40 yep. fucking years. I, yep. and like, it doesn't come up very often. So like, I was just like today, I was like, well, let's look at this, you know, now I know. And it's then what awesome. were you able to, to it do? Just immediately, able to immediately like the feeling goes away. And if I felt so much lighter thinking, I don't, you know, cause we're entrepreneurs, the list never fucking ends about the work that you do. I mean, seriously, like it just never will. <laughs> Just like yeah. mothering, relationships, all of it. It's always going to be there. And so I'm like, oh, I don't have to do everything. I could just literally pick one thing I'm going to do today. Boom. And it just it's immediately like this levity comes, right? Yes. Yeah. And as an, a fellow entrepreneur, that is that is my get out of jail free also is I mm-hmm. just tell myself, you know what? What is the one thing that is either heaviest that you want to get over with or what is the lightest thing? Because then that that makes me feel lighter. It makes me feel more accomplished. Mm-hmm. So this superpower of knowing how to to respond to yourself with yeah. love and compassion, not taking, you know, we always say that feelings are facts. And one of my favorite sayings is feelings actually are facts. It's the shitty thoughts causing the beliefs that you need to look at. Right. Stop and deal with the feelings with compassion like you would like as a mother. You know, Mm -hmm. that's my favorite analogy because I'm a mother. How would I treat my child? What does she need right now? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like the day before today, I mean, the day before I was like, I was calling my husband like, I just seriously, this is my default. (laughs) Full transparency. Sell everything. Pull the kids out of school. Get in our minivan and drive to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I live on the mm-hmm. beach happily ever after. And I'll just have a little garden and homeschool the kids and we'll just go swimming and surfing and eat fish tacos. Yes. There you Sounds go. Amazing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going. So Let's I'm like, get like, like, a community. I'm in the zone of, you know, the Mexico thing and the, you know, living out of our van. And he's like, okay. Like, you know, so it's like, I just, in the past, this would have cascaded into me actually doing something a little nutsos right? Like quitting a job or moving across the country or something big like that to try to, to escape that, that giving up feeling like I just want to give it all up. And I'm like, I don't want to keep doing that, you know, or drinking and ignoring it all. Yeah. Yeah. And so to be able to say, you know what, I can look at this saved me from so much unnecessary suffering down the road, you know? And it's just, it is a skill that you, you practice and you get better at it. And sometimes you don't, you don't listen to it for a while until it gets really annoying. (laughs) Well, one of the reasons I actually quit drinking was because I thought I needed to get another divorce because I was pretty sure all of my unhappiness was this marriage and Mm -hmm. all of the things that came with it. Mm -hmm. And one of the best things I heard in AA was don't make any major decisions for a year. And I was Mm -hmm. in a place where I was just going to do what I was told. And where I came to in that year was how valuable it is to learn how to stay and tolerate the situation you are as you Mm -hmm. are in the moment before you, because we think that the external world causes our feelings and Mm -hmm. it just doesn't. And so I did like, I am now happily married, didn't get a divorce, but I, I, I've learned that I need to get right with myself Mm -hmm. before I can make an objective choice about a path 
or whatever. Yes. And so you learning that, you know, it, Mexico, there's still going to be, you're, you're going to Mexico. I remember thinking, I know I, I am going to Mexico. <laughs> if I, if I get another divorce, I bet I'm getting custody in my own brain. So I'm just going to go have the same fight with a third husband, like, you know, yeah. and just realizing that learning how to be comfortable where you're at. Yeah. And that is so counterintuitive. We just think if we can just do one more thing mm-hmm. and change all of the other things that we're going to feel differently. And welcome to Groundhog Day, the repeat yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah. The same thing with people like my husband is somebody who up until recently changed his job a lot. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, honey, your brain goes with you <laughs> wherever you go. So yeah. like, let's just, you know, work on just being okay. And like, sometimes it's boring and that's okay. And sometimes it feels uncomfortable and that's okay. Not to say like, to add to this, if you're in an unsafe situation and this thing isn't good for you, you got to right. make decisions, right? And that's going to be uncomfortable and complicated. So seek advice on that and support. But um, we're, what we're talking about here is, you know, you know that you're safe, you know, that you can hang on to a little bit to let yourself work through some of this and kind of get clear on, is this just my triggers and patterns or is this something else that I actually need to change my circumstances about? For sure. And I actually went through that with myself and that was where I decided not to, you know, pull the trigger on a divorce and complicate Mm -hmm. my life so that I couldn't focus on recovery. I was like, I am married, you know, whether we stay married or not, my husband is safe. He's generous. Mm -hmm. He's kind. There's a guest bedroom. Like Mm -hmm. it's going to be, it's going to be okay. It's okay for this to not be okay right now. I don't Mm -hmm. have to go fix you know, it, I have to fix myself and then make yeah. a decision down the road. Kicking the can yeah. down the road is one of my favorite things to do with decisions these days. And that doesn't make me a procrastinator. Like yeah. so many things kind of fix themselves. Which I, is how you know, we know I, that your emotions. Time is like, just give it a day, y'all. Just give it yeah. a day. And like things resolve themselves so much better than like me getting all up and up in there and involved and overcompensating and sending emails and whatever it is, right? Like if you just all just pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Question number one. Yeah. Can this wait 24 hours? Yeah. Do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Question number one. (laughs) Do that. Regulate your nervous system. Yeah. 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 What else? Um, well, I was going to ask you kind of throw something on you and that is, uh, what's your superpower as a coach? You know, part of what we're doing here is introducing our audiences to each other. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. maybe you could explain why my audience wants to hop on over and subscribe to your podcast. I don't know if my response is going to make them want to hop over. (laughs) It might scare and intimidate them a little bit, but I think my superpower is, is that I don't, I can call out some bullshit. Like, yeah. Angela, that's my superpower. No, I have a bullshit detector really? hat. Oh, yeah. man. So like, I love it. Um, and I have a coach that works for me. Her name's Steph. Couldn't we call her coach Steph? And she's just like, it's like, they want you to believe their story and give them an excuse. And I'm like, I know like they, but they can't, they're so in it, right? They're so in their story. They're so in their mind about why this is so hard, but I know the other side of that. And I know what is going on because I've coached myself to the end of time. And I've coached hundreds of women through this, right? So it's like, you can't tell me anything that's going to be like, 
you're right. You're special. You should just keep drinking and you shouldn't, you know, process your feelings and you shouldn't change anything. Like you should just, you're a lost cause. Like I will never, ever say that. Right. So that's tough love. And that's uncomfortable for me to do sometimes, but I also think it's my superpower. And that's what I think that they want to hear from me because they can't, sometimes we just can't see it ourselves when you're in your own mess. You can't see that. So I think that's my superpower. Yeah, that's my superpower too. And the more I lean into that bullshit detector, mm-hmm. the, the bigger and the quicker the transformations are for my yeah. clients because yeah. they are paying for help, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. sympathy. Right. You know, and what do we learn? I remember one of my coaches saying, the moment you believe your client's story, you're both fucked. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. we are, are the whole point is to help you see a new perspective. And mm-hmm. if, you know, the one you're on, if, and that's where we identify our own problems as coaches. If, if my issue matches your issue and we've got matching bags, then yeah. it's really hard for me to not to see what it is that you can't see. So yeah. if I can't see it, the first thing I look at is myself. Mm-hmm. What is this bringing up for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't mean that we don't feel bad for people, right? Like I have so much compassion and empathy for people struggling with real problems. You know, like I've, you know, probably like you, there's just nothing I haven't coached people through. I mean, serious death and family complications and tragedy. And you know what I mean? Like there's, we have to be empathetic, right? And we have to hold that space and be willing to take them to a new place. And I think I can do that really well. Well, good. Yeah. <laughs> Could be well, scary. I would say for you, and I don't know if this will lead to more conversation, but my superpower, what I would say I bring to an audience is if somebody is wanting to reintroduce alcohol because they're tired Mm -hmm. of defining themselves by past mistakes. I've done it personally. Mm -hmm. I coach women through it. I've got a couple of episodes on my podcast that Mm -hmm. talk about, you know, the pitfalls, um, the, these stages, all of that stuff. So if somebody has been toying with that idea, um, that is one of the, the, what I would say I'm niching into is helping women reenter and decide if that's you know, on a case by case basis, if it's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Um, one of my clients recently's, um, husband gave it up for a while and then started drinking again. And there's just, she had so much internal drama about what other people thought about that. So you want to talk about that? Like if you did, have you declared, you know, sobriety or you're not drinking and then you're thinking about exploring drinking again, that yeah. also has a lot of internal drama, right? Because we worry so much about what other people are thinking. Do you want to talk about that? Well, the first thing I would say is your thoughts about other people's thoughts are still your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> and so that is part of what I would say a litmus test is if you, once you know that you have the skills to own, you know, I I do something called an emotional ownership statement. So blank is not the problem. My thoughts about blank are the problem. Mm -hmm. So my husband's opinion or my neighbor's opinion or my mom's opinion or my kid's opinion is not the problem. My thoughts about their opinions are the problem. And if you have the skill to tease that apart, then you own your discomfort. Mm 
because last time you checked your driver's license, you're a grown ass woman who can make decisions on her own and Mm -hmm. not owe anybody an explanation. Mm -hmm. So that, that would be where you might not be ready because trying to tolerate somebody's disapproval with a glass of wine on board makes it even harder. Yeah. You know, it's a skill. It's a skill. Yeah. I love that. Maybe talk about that. Like, since that's, you know, something that you're going further in exploring, how do you know if you're ready? If you've taken a longer break and then you feel like you want to start drinking again. You don't. Mm. You don't. Um, when I, I thought about it for about three months, that conversation I had with my brother where I realized, oh, wait, there's a whole framework here. That's a mental construct of drinkers Mm -hmm. and non-drinkers like Mm -hmm. past and future. Like I thought about it for about three months and what would that look like? And the, where I came and this is my journey. It's not Mm -hmm. a, it's not like step-by-step, but I decided that if I had a drink And at any point, it didn't go well. And I opened Pandora's box and everything they say about being one drink away from falling back into the gutter. And if Mm -hmm. if any of that turned out to be true, what had changed for me was I was no longer ashamed to be honest and ask for help. Mm. And so I knew that if I found myself in that, you know, where, where maybe I would have a drink of alcohol and it would my brain would react differently. Like all of that's bullshit, by the way. Like once your brain heals from addiction, your brain is not any different than anybody else's. Mm-hmm. So, but I didn't know that. And so if I had a drink and experienced a an addictive rush of euphoric high, I would have I would have a plan in place to call my coach, to ask for help, to remove the alcohol from my house, go back to basics, like whatever it was. So you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what the experience is going to be. Where you have to be is a, at a place you can trust yourself yes. to get back out of a hole, Yeah. to, to self-correct because mm-hmm. you want to be happy. And so that's, that, that's, the litmus test right there yeah, is I do I that. trust myself to make a mistake yeah. and self-correct? Yeah. that, And that's exactly how I feel about myself. I know that no matter what, if I were to drink today or tomorrow, that I know how to figure that out to come back from that, right? To like yes. get help, get support. There's nothing wrong with me. I would never internalize that I'm broken or any of that. I'm like, I know the tools to get back to where I was going or to refocus. Right. And however you want to phrase it, I don't like saying get back to how I was. Right. Before, Cause like, you, there is no just, there. Yeah, There's it's just, just like, there. I know how I'll learn from that and move on. Like it's not going to define me. Well, and I found this out after I experienced that is the truth, mm-hmm. but the science shows that recovery six to 12 months of recovery the parts of the brain, the the gray matter, the synaptic density that does get smaller in active addiction is can be greater in people who have overcome addiction within mm-hmm. six to 12 months 
than it than it is in normal people. Mm-hmm. Translating that science means that your ability to self-regulate is stronger because you have learned how to crawl out of that hole. Mm-hmm. You have done the work to educate yourself about the drug that we mm-hmm. call alcohol and how it affects you. And so the belief that it's going to be hard for you to do that which I still had that belief mm-hmm. and I was able to work through it. But now I know the science about it, that your prefrontal cortex is actually more developed in the self-determination, self-regulation department mm-hmm. than people who have never experienced it. Yeah. I mean, we're, we talked amazing? about this before, right? We have superpowers and this is one yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah. It's like you, you've overcome so much adversity with that. And yeah. retrain your brain to do new things and to think in different ways and have new experiences and all of it healed that. There, there's a lot to be said about that. I 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I go out and somebody offers me a drink, I'm very clear. Uh, no, I don't want to drink because I know it's going to decrease my quality of sleep mm-hmm. or I'm feeling anxious and upset right now. And I do not pour alcohol on that shit mm-hmm. I'm because I've done the work to articulate. I've learned, you mm-hmm. know, and I don't have rules per se, like, oh, I never drink on a Wednesday night, mm-hmm. but I understand when it's likely going to be pleasant and when probably I would regret that. Yeah. And that's all it is, is just mm-hmm. getting to know your body and mm-hmm. caring about that lady and her mm-hmm. experience and acting in your own best interest. So, yeah. Um, so what I was going to say, though, is I watch other people vacillate. Oh, I guess I'll have one more. Or if everybody else is drinking, I guess mm-hmm. I will, too. Like all of the mm-hmm. things like those things are no longer even kind of. I'm here for a good time, mm-hmm. not to please the people around me. But, you know, I've take I've done the work to do that. Well, that's a, that's that's empowerment, right? When you decide for yourself what's good for you in that moment or not. And when you say, "Well, if everybody else is doing it, and I guess what you like, you're giving your power to what other people are doing or not doing and letting yeah. that decide what you do, which is not feel good. It it just doesn't feel good when you do that. And then you don't take responsibility and you say things like, well, all of my friends drink and it's really hard for me to cut back and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you got to, you got to unravel that stuff and unattach that kind of stuff from your own relationship with yourself and what's right for you. Otherwise you don't, we won't get very far. Well, and, and as a coach with the bullshit detector hat on Mm -hmm. that saying that we hear, we hear it from everybody. Mm -hmm. It was came out of my mouth too, that that Mm -hmm. it's hard for me. Well, first of all, bell curve, every experience is 50% below awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for you to not control your drinking. It's hard for you to not take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Choose your hard, you know? Yeah. Bullshit detector. Everything's hard. It's called life. This is what yes. we signed up for. Yes. And do you want to do you want to invest your hard in something that moves you forward, mm-hmm. or spend all your hard trying to clean up last night's mess? Yeah. No thanks. Yeah. <laughs> no thank you. I choose self growth over yeah, like regret hard any time of the week. Feeling my feelings, being alive. You know, I talk a lot about 
in tuning into your aliveness, like you're a human being, right? You've got all of these feelings for a reason. Like it's, it's a good thing that we have our feelings and we get to experience them every day. It means we're alive. Yeah. <laughs> like literally we're alive. We're not dead. Yeah. And we want to give ourselves an opportunity for that to see what is possible for ourselves. And yeah, my, like my mission in all of it is to help people undo that and unleash they're themselves, right? Like you've got so much to offer here and the habits and the drinking and all that sort of like stuff is just, it's a bummer when it, and when you recognize it's holding you back. And the biggest thing holding all of us back is our feelings, our own feelings. We're scared of our own shadow, Mm -hmm. what we're going to think about what other people think. I mean, Mm -hmm. like you said, a hangover, you know, that's 5%, except maybe Mm -hmm. on a worst day, but Mm -hmm. the actual effects of alcohol play such a small role. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, we're avoiding our feelings because we're afraid of our own inner critic and our own judgment. And, you know, the quicker you move into the uncomfortable feelings, the sooner you're going to be able to resolve them. You know, one of the things I tell myself often is, oh, this is the part that sucks. Mm -hmm. Like of my day, this is the part of the day that sucks, mm-hmm. you know, and the more I lean into it and allow and stop with the, it shouldn't be this way. And I don't deserve to feel this way. Like, no, nope, this is the part that sucks. I know okay. I, I could, you have stop, drop and roll or whatever your, uh, your thing. I have stop notice process. We call it the SNP. Mm. And literally the moment you acknowledge how you feel, yes. I am feeling disappointed, right? Yeah. It fucking goes away. <laughs> The more you ignore it and not acknowledge it and resist it, the more it festers and bubbles up. Like it it really isn't that complicated to do this stuff. And it's not terrible. It's, it's the most loving thing that you could do for yourself is to acknowledge how you feel, you know, acknowledge how you feel and accept that it isn't true. Working through marital stuff. I realized I didn't want to think, oh, I don't think we're a good fit and I want a divorce. Like, no, no, bring that up, put it front and center because it's not true that, you know, I don't like my husband. Mm -hmm. Like that's a thought. It's not Mm -hmm. the truth. And Mm -hmm. trying to pretend like that's not true or make excuses, like, nope, just Mm -hmm. put it on the table. There's a thought. I don't like him. What else could be true? Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes I like him. Sometimes he's funny. Okay. You know, but if you ignore that feeling and then not pull out and articulate, bringing the subconscious into conscious awareness and look at head on and be like, well, that's one truth, but we got more to look at it. It is such a game changer, such a game changer. And it's worth every ounce of pain (laughs) that you go through. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt either way, you know, hurts either way. Well, what else do you feel like people need to know about you or your work? Um, well, if, for my listeners, hey there. Uh, <laughs> but Recover with Colleen podcast is uh, where you can find me. And I write great emails. I have a Monday email list uh, that I send out with my podcast. So mm-hmm. you can get on my list. My website is Recover with Colleen. My socials are Recover with Colleen. Um, I put a lot of time and effort onto the, the, the gram. Mm-hmm. Uh, making helpful, you know, 90 second change your life videos. Some of them are better than others, but so that's <laughs> it. You can find me on socials and stuff. That's awesome. Thank what you. What about you? Tell my listeners about you. Yeah. So, you know, I have my stop over drinking and start living podcast. That's what it's called. 
Um, it's on all the players or my website, AngelaMasenic.com. And I'm at coach with Angela Masenic on the socials on Instagram and Facebook. And I also have a weekly newsletter, newsletter called Thirsty Thursday. And I write, yeah, I write the little inspirational tips and advice. And I include my podcast in that weekly email too. And you can go to my website, AngelaMasenic.com and subscribe to get my top three podcast episodes emailed to you. And then you'll be on the list and you'll get those emails. Well, and I do want to make it clear for my listeners, because I just had Mary Wagstaff on, I don't know when this is going to air versus hers, but I thought I had booked the same podcast twice because her podcast is Stop Drinking and Start Living Uh, and yours is Stop Over. Do you know Mary? I I actually do know, Not I don't really know her, but she was in a group that I was in. And I remember when she named her podcast that. Yeah. Um, so cool. Well, you would like her. She's great. But for my listeners to find Angela, make sure you go to stop over drinking and start living. And yes, those titles are close and that's why you're confused. And so <laughs> is I, and it's okay. We got it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. All right, y'all. You should listen to everything that we're talking about. Learn how to feel your feelings, do the internal work, and then you get to decide what your relationship with alcohol looks like. Yeah. Well, thank you, Angela. This has been so fun. It's been great to get to know you. You too. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Angela. I want you to check out AngelaMasenic.com forward slash Alive AF. You know what it's like to have a desire to cut back on your drinking, right? You start to read books, listen to podcasts, try things, but you might not be able to yet put all the pieces and suggestions together in a way that actually makes sense and works for you. You might struggle with beating yourself up after an overdrink. You might get frustrated with yourself when you take two steps forward and then another two steps back and get overwhelmed with what's right and wrong about your relationship with alcohol. Your friends tell you that you should be able to have just one drink and it isn't a big deal. You might be white knuckling through urges and resisting instead of peacefully processing them. And you might struggle with your identity as someone who has enjoyed having a lot of wine or alcohol in your life. It's around you all the time. It's what you do and who you are. Well, after five years of successfully coaching hundreds of women through these struggles, I have created the Alive AF membership where women like you can learn the basics on what it takes to cut back and reach your goals with alcohol, whether it is to just drink less or totally quit. And when you join, you will get the exact framework I used to change my own relationship with alcohol and still use today that has led me to be alcohol free for over five years. You're going to get access to my resources, videos, and worksheets that have been proven to change and reduce how much you drink. Every day you can ask questions, share your obstacles, and get coaching and direct support on the challenges you will face with love and no judgment. Also, you will get immediate access to workshops like uncovering your alcohol identity and changing it, how to say no to things that don't support your new identity or life or goals, aka boundaries. a workshop called Creating Emotional Agency, and another one, How to Manage Your Mind to Succeed at Your Goals and More. Every month we have a brand new workshop. These workshops are filled with step-by-step prompts and instruction to help you create the exact relationship with alcohol that is best for you. 
My mission and vision for Alive AF is to be a hub of support and resources for women to come and learn how to do what is best for them and becoming more alive in the process. When you join, you're going to learn how to take care of yourself better, how to feel good and become more alive and go after the life that you really want. I want this membership to be affordable and an easy solution where you can get all the help you need in one simple place whenever you need it. So no need to go read another book, find a new podcast, attend a free webinar, or go down the path of piecemealing it all together. Join Alive AF and have it all there in one place for you anytime you need it. So go to AngelaMasenic.com forward slash Alive AF and enrollment is open right now. See you inside.